What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Always Working, aka Beatrice Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 109, season 3 of the Passion Purpose Perspective Podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, fun day. It's July 24th, 2022, man. Um, We got a lot to talk about, but we don't have a lot of time. So let's get it started. Uh, As you guys know... I've been challenging some of my ideas or at least just looking deeper into, you know, the world of finance, stock market investing um, and just looking at conflicting data versus my own biased ideas. So I wanted to do the same thing in regards to fitness. So um, I've been slacking on my Mac and when it comes to fitness in terms of just the overall research and analysis of it. So, yeah. Um, basically what I did was I read a couple of articles and when I mean a couple of articles, I literally mean I, I ran through two, uh, fitness and nutritional articles because, um, yeah, I had some thoughts and the thought that I had initially was, can anyone lose, lose or gain weight? Um, that doesn't already have a pre-existing condition. So if you don't have any pre-existing conditions or health issues, can you lose weight regardless of the size you start at? Um, and yeah, I got some interesting, uh, information and I wanted to go over some of that information. So I found a 2014 article by Kelly Crow and, um, in the title, it suggests that it's nearly impossible to permanently lose weight. And my initial reaction to that is, duh. Just the title alone implies that you only have to lose weight one time and that's it. To me, that's what that says. It's nearly impossible to permanently lose weight. Well, of course, um, depending on the situation, like you can't just lose weight once and then that's it you have no more issues or you have no more no maintenance no nothing to worry about no once you go back to whatever you were doing beforehand you're going to gain back that initial weight so i want to get into a few tidbits um that the article touched on and basically what the article was saying is that the weight will come back after a while the article also states that uh, most people that are willing to exercise and eat healthy, um, if looking better is the result, but if the weight doesn't change, they lose motivation. So again, I want to go back to that cause that sounded a little bit confusing, but in the article, it's, it basically says that most people willing to exercise are, are willing to exercise and eat healthy if looking better, i.e. losing weight or building muscle is the result. So basically, people are more motivated if they're going to continue to lose weight or build muscle. Um, however, if their weight doesn't change, they lose motivation. The article 
went on to say things like there's no cure for obesity besides shrinking your stomach surgically, um, which, again, something I found interesting. And then it says, although it says most uh, most will still be obese after surgery. It's just like, what? So, again, to me, it's not about a permanent cure. It's not about a permanent uh, result in regards to weight loss. We need some body fat for insulation um, to insulate the organs. We also just need it for biological functions overall. We also need somewhere around uh, the realm of 3% body fat in order to just stay alive. Um, and to me, in my funky ass opinion, it's about weight management and maintenance. You can't go into fitness and nutrition looking at, oh, well, I'm trying to generate permanent result. That's not how this shit works. It's not how the body works. It's just not. Um, and there's another article that I read, and I want to go over some of that information as well. But going back to my rant or rave, whatever the hell you want to call this, like, of course, it's impossible to permanently lose weight. You're you're always at at an odds with your body because your body is trying to adapt to whatever you're introducing to the body. So if you're introducing more calories, your body is going to adapt to that um, and recalibrate itself in order for you to be able to hold on to some of those calories or most of those calories. So you're going to gain body fat because you're not burning enough calories or assuming you're not burning enough calories if you're overeating. Now, if you're eating a lot less food um, and you get into a calorie deficit and you're eating less calories than you burn, of course, your body's going to burn uh, body fat. You're going to lose overall weight over time. Um, and this, again, is assuming that, you know, you're just in a calorie deficit. You're not looking at exercise in general. Um, but then, of course, you're going to hit set points. You're going to hit your maximum or, mi or levels of the amount of weight you can gain, the amount of weight that you can lose. But, of course, when you introduce physical exercise into that, it completely changes the game. Um, and this is looking at, obviously, the perspective of somebody who comes in a bit heavier, whether they come in in the beginning of their journey. Oh, you know, they were born a little bit heavier or whatever. Or maybe they just gained extra weight over time. And, you know... Yeah, it's just like, I'm sure there's some research out there that suggests that some people just naturally um, have more fat cells. They generate more fat cells. So when they eat food, a lot of it gets converted into fat it's in terms of like the calories, in terms of the macronutrients, the micronutrients, et cetera, whatever. Um, but yeah, these articles, um, they just, they have me, they have me thinking. Um, so this other Forbes article, it's a Forbes article uh, by Alice G. Walton. And um, I guess she interviewed this guy named James Hill, who's a PhD at the University of Colorado. And again, it was just breaking down the various aspects of fitness and nutrition in terms of gaining weight, losing weight, etc. And uh, what this guy James Hill was saying was, you're going to have to work harder than other people, possibly forever especially if you're overweight versus your thin friends. 
And to me, that is dead on. Like, that is something that I agree with a little more. I'm a little more biased to it because of my own experiences. So, in a nutshell, what this guy is saying, what James Hill is saying is, there's no cure for obesity. What he is implying, what the implication is to his statement is that you're going to have to continually exercise and eat right in order to maintain a healthy body weight. However, if you stop with your fitness and nutritional regimen, you're going your body's going to revert back to whatever weight you previously gained. Assuming you stop eating healthy and stop exercising, you have to stay on a maintenance program. And this is something that I've discussed in previous episodes a long time ago. Um, But I've discussed maintenance programming and maintenance calories. Um, And it's just like, man, of course, if you're exercising and you're eating healthy and you're getting results, you're starting to burn uh, body fat, you're starting to lose overall weight, maybe you're building some muscle because you're, you know, on a weight training program as well. Now you put your body into a calorie deficit. With that, your body is going to absorb the nutrients that it needs in order to function properly, and it's going to get rid of what it doesn't need, um, assuming that you're, again, burning more calories than you're consuming. If at any point in your programming, You alter that and you somehow go into a calorie surplus or you're eating more uh, food, more you're consuming more calories than you're burning, you're going to gain weight. However, if you're eating less calories and you're burning an adequate amount of calories versus the amount that you're eating, you're going to lose the weight. But it's a it's a constant battle. It's a constant process. You're not going to lose weight one time and never have to worry about losing weight again. Because the moment you change your habits, the moment you change your routine, the moment you change your diet, the moment you change uh, your exercise program, your body is going to change. Your body's going to adapt to that. Your body is constantly in a state of adaptation. That is the body's job. It is trying to find homeostasis or balance throughout everything that you're doing throughout the day. All the food you're consuming, the rest you're getting or not getting, um, the stimulus or stimuli that you're introducing to your body, i.e., you know, your work schedule or just what you do at work, i.e., the type of exercises that you engage in. Um, so yeah, anytime you manipulate those things, your body's going to change. Um, whether it's a minor uh, a minor adjustment or uh, or just a drastic one, you're constantly having to figure out how to not lose too much or not gain too much if you've already hit your goals. And of course, I want to predicate or 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 just begin all of this by saying it depends on where you are at as far as your starting point. Some people are going to start out heavier. Some people are going to start out a little bit lighter. Um, Of course, some people have pre-existing conditions um, and some people don't. So again, that's going to completely alter your result. But there there is no steady state of weight loss without a steady state of uh, a calorie deficit 
or burning enough calories and not eating too much or, 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 you know, not getting too below the amount of calories that you need in order to stay at that steady state, so to speak. Of course, there's no permanent cure to obesity. Of course, there's no permanent cure for weight loss. It is a constant process of, of making sure that you're eating enough, but not too much. Making sure that you're burning enough calories, but not so many to where you're getting like stringy or unhealthy in terms of being like super low calories or just having a, a, a ridiculously low amount of body fat. Like you need a healthy portion of food. You need a healthy amount of exercise. That's the idea. A healthy amount of both, an adequate amount of both in order to, again, maintain some type of homeostasis in regards to your overall health and wellness. Um, so, yeah, this first article from Kelly Crow, it just it kind of pissed me off to say something that like it's nearly impossible to permanently lose weight. Like, no shit. Of course, it's permanent. It's it's impossible. It's nearly impossible. Because you can't, you can't, again, you can't lose weight once and then your body's just going to continually lose weight. And even then, if your body continue, if you continue to lose weight after some point in some stage of the process, it's going to become unhealthy. You need to find a balance. This is why you will hear coaches and nutritionists and dietitians and all of that, you know, they'll say you need to find balance because you can do too much of something or not enough of something. And you can negatively alter the outcome. You don't want to do that. You want to find a healthy medium. And again, you can go back into my podcast feed and you can and you can look at some of my ideas or or you know opinions on having a maintenance program or having maintenance calories or even just a maintenance program in regards to fitness and nutrition because you can train too much or you can train or you can not train enough. The same thing with the same, the same as it is with food is the same as it is with training. You can overtrain or you can undertrain. Again, you can overeat and you can undereat. The goal should be maintenance. How can I eat enough calories to where I don't lose weight and to where I don't gain weight once I hit my goal, my body weight goal? And then from there, in regards to the training aspects, how can I work out just enough to where I can maintain my current physique after I hit my goal? So that way I'm not, you know, losing a drastic amount of weight or gaining a drastic amount of weight. And that is maintenance. You have to figure out what your maintenance levels are, whether you're counting calories or whether you're just looking at in the mirror, which can also alter, you know, just the actual results. Because how you look, sometimes it isn't in line or in tune with what the scale says. So, yeah, if you're really trying to dial it in and really figure it out, you're going to have to count the calories. You're going to have to jot down all of the reps and sets that you're doing. You know, how long is your training programs? You know, uh, how many minutes? uh, per session are you training? Uh, what else? You know, the supplementation, because that's going to come into play as well as your body mass index and any, uh, 
predispositions, like genetic predispositions that you may or may not have. That might also alter or affect your training program and your nutritional programs moving forward. Some people are insulin sensitive. Um, for some people, the body fat goes directly to their stomach. Other people, the body fat might go towards their legs or whatever the case may be. But even with that, you, there's no spot reduction. Like You can't just hit one spot and lose body fat in that area. It's going to come off all over the place. It's just going to start in certain areas. But yeah, that's beside the point. Like Again, there is no permanent cure to losing weight. There's no permanent cure to obesity. And even with this first article uh, by Kelly Crow, it even states that uh, if you get like if you get a, a gastric bypass surgery or if you if you do the stomach shrinking surgery, still, most of these individuals will end up gaining the weight back or some of the weight back after the surgery. Um, but it's just like, yeah, man, you can't you can't hide from the work. You can't hide from the process of fitness and nutrition. It's 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 a constant battle. It's constant effort. There is no, well, I can just coast and I can just slack off on my eating because I'm training, you know, four days a week, five days a week, you know, an hour and a half a day. All right, that's cool. But if you mess up on your nutrition, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start to slowly gain back that weight. There's no way around it. And that is the problem that I, that I see and that I've experienced, you know, when I used to train people, they're lazy. And they and they look at like, yo, how can I just lose this weight and keep it off? You can you can lose the weight by if you're heavier, you can you can put your body into a calorie deficit. You can eat less calories than you normally eat, and then you can adopt a fitness program that's gonna allow you to build muscle, which is obviously gonna help with body fat loss. And then obviously there's supplementation that can help facilitate some of that. Um, but still. If you alter one of those things, you you're going to you're going to do more damage than good. Depending on the situation, depending on your goals because some people alter their their fitness and nutritional uh programs in order to um increase the result that they're trying to get, which that's fine if that's what you're into, if that's what you want to do. But again, there's no one there's no one size fits all there's no one program that's going to work for everybody there's no one process there's no one time oh i did this program one time i lost the weight and it never came back and i didn't have to do the program afterwards no 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 that doesn't work if you do a 6 week program and you get results and you after 6 weeks in the 7th week you start eating the same way you used to eat before you lost the weight or you start not training the way you trained during that six weeks, guess what's going to happen? Your body is going to revert back to what it was. You're going to gain back that weight. You're going to lose your cardiovascular endurance. Um, the muscle is, is you know, it's going to start to break down, um, you know, and it's just like, yeah, you constantly have to be working on the physical aspects of yourself and the nutritional aspects in order to find where your maintenance levels are. Figure out what you can do. Once you hit your fitness and nutritional goals, figure out how you can maintain that. Because getting there is half the battle. 
But staying there, that is what gets a lot of people. This shit is not a cakewalk. It's not. When you when you hit those goals, that's just the first half of the process. Now you got to figure out how to maintain that. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, it's work. It's work. It is a lot of work. Um, and it's a never-ending process. Going back to the Forbes article by Alice G. Walton and James Hill. Again, he said, you're going to have to work harder than other people, possibly forever, especially if you're overweight versus your thin friends. And the, to summarize that article, it, it said, reducing calories, eating better, practice overtime. That is the key. Again, reducing calories, eating better, and practicing overtime. But if you don't practice, if you don't reduce your calories, and if you don't eat better, I guarantee you, you'll be right back at square one where you started with the body that you don't like, with health that is not sufficient to longer life expectancy. So yes, it's a constant battle. And of course, there is no permanent weight loss program. There's not. The, the, the only thing that is permanent is you constantly working on yourself and maintaining whatever level of fitness that you that you like about your body. If you look good at 185 pounds, then figure out how to stay at 185 pounds with whatever nutritional program works for you and whatever fitness program works for you. Um, but you got to figure it out what that is for you. There's so many details and just nuances to who you are as a person, how you how you function and even how your body uh, responds to what, uh, weight training or body weight exercising or calisthenics or how your body responds to low calorie dense foods. Um, but you got to do the work and you have to continually do the work. It's not going to just happen once and then that's it. You're going to have to continually improve. You're going to have to continually work on yourself. You're going to have to continually monitor where your body is at, whether whether you're getting heavier or whether you're losing too much weight or whether you're maintaining muscle or whether you're losing muscle, um, you know, or, or whether you're, you know, training too much or not training enough or eating too much or not eating enough. Like, yeah. You're, you're always going to be teetering back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, unless you figure out what that maintenance level is. But yeah, there is no there is no one stop shop. There is no, you know, one hit or quitter, one fix or whatever. No, um, it's it's a forever thing. You're always going to have to work on it, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no way around it. Um, and why am I able to say that? Because that's what I do. You know, I started out 200 or not started out, but the heaviest I ever got was 235 pounds. Right now I'm about 185 pounds, um, but I'm 180 pounds because I figured out what my maintenance level is. And that entails me working out at least three times a week, you know, doing cardio at least 45 minutes to an hour doing weight training, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, like consistently, consistently. Um, and I'm a very active person anyway, so it's, it's, 
you know, as far as like moving around and burning calories, I don't have that problem. But for me, I love to eat. So I always have to watch what I'm eating, how much I'm eating of it. Because, yeah, if I slip up or I don't do my cardio or I don't get in my weight training or I don't, you know, burn as many calories throughout the day or I start eating way too much. Yeah, guess what? That gut starts coming back. Them love handles start coming back. It's a it's a forever thing, man. You can't get around it. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. And a lot of people, they quit on themselves and they give up because, yeah, they start realizing like, yo, you got to stay doing this. Like, you can't just get out of it, you know, do it once and that's it. No, it's a when when. When we as fitness, you know, enthusiasts and trainers, you know, and, and other, you know, other people in that in the industry, whether they're dietitians or whatever, when we say it's a lifestyle, that's what we mean. This whole topic of discussion is exactly why we say it's a lifestyle. It has to be a lifestyle because you can't do it once and then the result lasts forever. It doesn't work like that. It, it doesn't. There's there's no uh, royalty on fat loss. You know, there's no residual effects. People can say what they want. You know, I've heard guys like Greg Doucette talk about like how he hates when people talk about the afterburn because, yeah, the afterburn is only going to last you a very, very short amount of time in regards to, you know, when you're doing, you know, some very intense exercises that apparently you're going to burn a few extra calories right after you're done training. Well, yeah, because your body has to to recalibrate itself so of course you're going to still be in a state of of you know just overexertion and having your heart rate try to come down some people's heart rate takes longer to come down because either their exercising is extremely intense or they're not as fit as the program that they're doing so it takes them longer to recover but yeah that little, that little funky afterburn, that's not going to save you. You have to continually work on it all the time. Um, you know, and, and that's it. There's a reason why professional athletes are always practicing. It isn't just because. It's because if they don't practice, they're going to lose that skill set. No matter how good they are, they're going to lose that. And it's the same with fitness and nutrition. You have to stay with it. You have to stick with it and figure out what your maintenance plan is. Um, because yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no pill that's gonna fix everything. There's no program that you do one time or two times or three times and that's it. No, it is a forever thing. And people don't want to hear that, but that's just the truth. There's no none of these programs, none of whether it's fitness or nutritional programs, none of these programs are gonna give you everlasting result unless you are always training consistently and always um eating at maintenance calories like that's it otherwise if you get off if you get off of the program your body's gonna go back to where you where you were before you even started so yeah man that's that's all i gotta say about that um so yeah, before this episode gets super long, I need to get into the finance portion of this episode. Um, I didn't do, well, I did a couple hours of research um, just for this little bit of information, but yeah, let's get into it. Um, and before I before I get into this, if you appreciated the first half of this episode, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Now, 
getting into the world of finance, which is extremely interesting to me. Um, so yeah, basically this is like a message or just information for retail investors. And of course, disclaimer, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I don't know anything about anything. Don't ever listen to me. Um, this is all for educational purposes only. <coughs> Excuse me. So retail investors, we need to look at where we are in the business cycle, the economic cycle, and the liquidity cycle in relation to one of the three main indexes. So whether you're looking at the uh, whether you're looking at the S&P 500 or the Nasdaq or the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that is your base case. Um, that's your compass, that's your north star. Wherever those indexes are, in relation to your portfolio, that is the best that you're going to do or the worst that you're going to do in terms of the overall value. Um, and I know I'm explaining that in a nutty ass way, but yeah, it's just something that I ran into in the beginning of my journey. So it's, it's important because it can be very confusing. So a lot of times you'll look at and I hate, I just, I hate the, the, the phrase stock market. I hate the word stocks. It's just so annoying. It's like, we are buying pieces of businesses. We are business owners when we buy stocks. We're buying businesses, people. But anyway, like, I want to make this super duper simple. Um, but where, wherever the economy is in relation to, as far as like the market, wherever those indexes are, that's, that's going to be in line with your portfolio, whether you're doing good or bad, the market is going to go up. It's going to go down. Sometimes it's going to go sideways and it's, and when it's sideways, that just means it's, it's flat. It isn't gaining or losing. So, in a way for you to see where we are overall, and I want to look at the S&P 500 because it's 500 of America's companies and it's the most broad-based index. So, I like to use that um, as my benchmark. So, when you look at the 52-week high and the 52-week low, of the S&P 500, that's your spread. Meaning there's a top, there's a 52 week high. That means the highest level that the S&P 500 was trading at for that week, that's the highest level that it traded at in an entire year. The low is the lowest level that it traded at. Okay. Now in 2022, the 52-week high for the S&P 500 was 4,818 and 62, okay? So 48,1862. The low in 2022 for the S&P 500 was 36,3687. That is a 24.52% gap, Okay? And if you know anything about 
the market, you know that when there is a 10% decline in the S&P 500, that is considered a correction. When there's a 20% decline, that is a bear market. So what I'm saying is sometimes you will see your investment account just for lack of a better term, prospering, you will see it rallying. You will see all types of green. Your percentage, you know, your percentage for the day or, or will be like super duper high or whatever. That's in relation to the index, whichever index you like to follow, which again, to me, I like to follow the S&P 500. The problem with you know, some of these days where the market rallies and goes crazy and everybody's making money is the overall value of it. Where is it at? If it's if it's above 48.1862, then you're making money. But if it's below 48.1862, the overall value of your account is is not you're not in the clear yet. You're still below wherever you started at. And and that can be extremely tricky and it can mess with people psychologically. So there are these things called bear market rallies. And basically bear market rallies occur during economic downturns and they give signals of recovery. And it makes the macro and liquidity cycle extremely important. So again, as recently as May 20th, we were in a bear market. So the S&P 500 was trading 20% below its 52-week high. That is classified as a bear market. Um, from there, obviously, the market was just gyrating up and down. You know, it went sideways a little, but it mostly was just kind of trickling in a downward spiral, so to speak. Um, but what happens sometimes, especially if we're, you know, headed towards things like uh, monetary tightening it, as far as uh, liquidity and as far as the Federal Reserve and what they're doing, you know, we may or may not be headed for a recession. So there are times when investors will program the algorithms in terms of algorithm trading or they'll just they'll have their ideas or their strategies and or they'll be engaged in options and sometimes the options will be expiring um you know and if they're all expiring at a certain time that also could be a reason why you will see a rally in the markets during a bear market so again, you might see your account just flourishing and just, you know, just all types of, you know, just all types of green. And you're like, man, my account is up, you know, one and a half percent, uh, two, two percent, two, two and a quarter percent today. Like, whoa, this is awesome. But what you're not looking at or what you might fail to look at is. Where where is the 52-week high? Where is the 52-week low? Because if you're not if you're not past that that 52-week high, then 
unfortunately, the overall value of that is only as good as that index. So again, it can be very confusing to, you know, the average investor because it was confusing to me in the beginning. But yeah, it's like, okay, um, I'm up 2%, but it says that my overall value is, you know, negative, whatever, negative however many dollars. And it's just like, well, how's that possible? It's possible because if, if we're talking about the S&P 500, it is either in a correction or in a bear market. Um, and it's below its 52-week high. So the issue is even if we have like a super awesome day in the market, a super positive day, you still have to look at where we are in relation to the overall index. And if that index is not beyond 48.1862, then you still got a lot of return to try to get in order to be in the clear um, or in the black, as they like to say in business, instead of being in the red. And again, when we're when we're when we're teetering towards a recession and just high inflationary environments um, and just tightening of liquidity, there are a lot of times where the market will rally and it will rally upward in a major way, and it'll look like, hey, we're out of the bottom and we're back into a bull market or whatever. And it's just like, that's not necessarily the case. You have to look at the entire spectrum. And I fell for this too, because I was only looking at the fundamentals. But of course, as I got more curious, I started looking at, okay, what's going on with the macroeconomic talk? And why, why are people talking about this? And what the hell is the liquidity cycle? And what is monetary uh, easing? And what is monetary tightening? And, and just how does that all come into play if... If I'm buying businesses that have good fundamentals, why should I be worried about the liquidity cycle? Why should I be worried about the macro environment? Because we are all operating based on what happens, unfortunately, on a day-to-day basis, on a weekly basis, on a, on, a, on a semi-annual basis, and on an annual basis. And because of that, we get a lot of short-term fluctuations in the markets and those fluctuations, they can confuse the average investor. If that average investor is not looking at where we are in the business cycle, where we are in the economic cycle, and where we are in the liquidity cycle. And of course, like I said, right now we are going, well, we're not going into, we're already in it. There is a lot of monetary tightening going on. Liquidity is being pulled out of the market. So because of that, interest rates have been increasing. And because of that, the market is tr- is trading at a lower value than what it recently was. Not recently, but just as early as January. I think January fourth uh, was th- was the highest was the highest level. Again, that was forty eight eighteen sixty two. That was a fifty two week high. Um, and I think on Friday we closed at like thirty nine hundred and some change or whatever. So yeah, overall. The market is still in a downturn. Some people, I'm sure, they're making money. They have, you know, maybe they're doing whatever strategies are doing, you know, as far as like looking at where the market is going or et cetera, whatever. But for, for again, for people that just have an average perspective on this, 
Again, it can be very misleading. It can be very confusing. And another issue is when you lose money in the markets, it takes a lot more to get back to break even. And then you got to, once you break even, all right, you're trying to get beyond that. And you're only, you're only going to generate returns or your own, your portfolio. I've said this, I think I said this in the last episode, but like, or maybe the one before that, but it's just like your portfolio is only going to perform as well as the businesses that you own inside of that portfolio. And those businesses are only going to perform, you know, up to the standard or up to the level of whatever GDP is or gross domestic product. So if that, if the, if the GDP is flat or it's declining, what do you think that's going to mean for American businesses? That there, some of them are not going to do as well, especially if there's a lot of tightening of the monetary policy and liquidity is drying up and interest rates are increasing. That is putting downward pressure on businesses. Ergo, profits are going to decrease. Inventories are going to increase or rise, which is terrible. And at some point, Businesses are either going to increase their prices to try to combat higher cost, which again, that's just more inflation. And now the returns that you generate are going to be negated by the current inflationary environment. So again, if inflation is 9.1%, guess what? You better be earning 9.1% on your invested capital. Otherwise, you're just like the rest of us losing money. So then it's all about not losing as much money um, as everybody else. And then it becomes a process of how can I preserve the capital that I have and not have as severe of a loss? But yeah, man, um, I know I'm kind of rambling on, but I also want to get into these charts real quick. So... I found a chart that basically shows the when you lose money on your on your investments, how the percentage that you need in order to break even or get back to just even levels. You didn't you didn't lose any. You didn't gain any. So this is according to investopedia.com. And before I get into these numbers, it, it, it depends on so many different things. It depends on what price you paid. It depends on the current interest rate environment. It depends on your time horizon. And it also depends on business fundamentals. But getting into this, if your account, if you lost 10% on your account, you need to make 11% in order to break even. If you lost 15% on your portfolio, you need 18% in order to break even. If you lost 20% on your account, you need at least 25% in order to break even. If you lost 25% on your account, you need 33% just to break even. Like, and there's a couple of other numbers here, but the last one is if you lose 50% on your portfolio, you need to generate 100% return in order to break even. Just to break even, not to make money, just to break even. So again, you have to be cognizant of where we are in the business cycle, 
where we are in the economic cycle and where we are in the liquidity cycle. Because all of those things are going to affect asset prices and they're going to affect markets. And again, you're only going to do as well as the overall market is doing. So you have to look at the value of it, where it is and where you are to be able to gauge, okay, am I making money? Am I losing money? And if I am losing money, how much did I lose? Or what percent do I need to get back to breaking even? And then what percentage do I need to get in order to surpass breaking even so that I can be making money? But yeah, man, it messes with your mind when you see the market going up, you know, just drastically because maybe, uh, you know, people are, uh, gambling or engaging in derivative, uh, transactions via options, uh, via puts or calls or strangles or shadows or whatever. Um, so they either have to take some profit off the table or they got to eat those losses. So that can create a lot of fluctuations as well as some of the news that we hear in terms of the financial news markets react to that. But then you'll hear things like, Oh, you know, uh, efficient market theories and, 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 you know, markets are fairly efficient and this and that. How are they fairly efficient if the market is reacting to fiscal or monetary policy or earnings reports, whether they're positive or negative? I just don't see how that's very efficient in regards to, you know, just the cost again to the constant fluctuations. But yeah, you got to look at where we are in the cycles in order to understand why you're either making money or losing money. And just how it can affect you in the future because there's a lot of risk involved. So you've got to be constantly assessing risk factors. And right now there's there's a shit ton of risk factors um, across the board that are, you know, almost happening simultaneously. So, yeah, it's going to perfect your portfolio in a major way. But again, you have to be looking at where we are in the cycles in order to get a better idea of why your portfolio is doing the things that it's doing. And I'm, I'm saying all this because it's something that confused me and something that I needed to learn and something I'm still learning and something that I find extremely fascinating because it also gets into the psyche, you know, just the psychological implications of, you know, not being as informed and, and making investment mistakes based on that ignorance. So, yeah, man, we got to stay informed. We got to look at where we are in the liquidity cycle, where we are in the economic cycle um, and, and where we are in the business cycle. And yeah, right now there's a lot of, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, tightening going on. And even with that, with the tightening, of course, it's supposed to make make prices go down in regards to, you know, goods and services. Um, it's supposed to alleviate some of the pressure or create downward pressure so that it can destroy demand. But yeah, in regards to things like the labor market, that's not been happening. There's a lot of jobs out there. So some people think we're in a recession. Some people think we're not in a recession because they're like, hey, you know, there's damn near two jobs for every unemployed uh, person that's out there. So what's up with that? But then you look at GDP And it's just like, well, shit, the GDP is declining. Again, borrowing costs have increased. So that's creating more pressure, more downward pressure. 
Um, but then again, you will see the market rally. And again, it causes confusion. I know I'm not the only one, but it causes confusion. So yeah, it just goes to show you got to be looking at everything across the board in order to not panic and do something dumb because you think, oh, things are going bad or things are going well. You got to stay ready at all times. Um, so yeah, man, that's all I really wanted to say about that. So hopefully that wasn't too confusing to anybody out there. But um, yeah, man, I'm about to wrap this up. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. All right. So per the usual, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.